and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. I was reminded of the story of a vicar in the UK or a church in the UK where the vicar had gone away, an Anglican church, and someone else was called in to substitute for them, for the vicar. And the preacher was feeling a little insecure, a little nervous, wanting to express this to the congregation, looked up and saw a stained glass window at the back of the church. And in the stained glass window, one of the little red colored panes of glass had been broken and replaced by a bit of clear glass because that's all they could get. So he explained to the congregation that he felt a little bit like the substitute pane in that window back there. After the meeting, someone comes to him to encourage him and says, I want to let you know you're not the substitute pain, you are the real pain. So my prayer this morning is that I can be a real pain for all of us in the best possible sense. So I want to lay before us a scenario. This is, this is not a prophecy, so don't come back to me in three months' time and say you were wrong. But my scenario is this, that in a brief time, in just a few months, this will all be over. This will all be over. And we will forget about it. 2020 will be a difficult memory. It will be that season. We'll make jokes about it. But we will have moved on. And contrary to all the hype, my scenario is this that the new normal is going to look suspiciously like the old normal. And there might be one or two subtle, subtle differences, but by and large, life is going to carry on. Which means that we have a very, very narrow window of opportunity to say there are some things that shouldn't carry on the way they used to be. There are some things that really do need to change. And this is our space to speak into our own lives and say, actually, I determine that the future for me, the new normal for my life, is not going to look like the old normal in this respect. And specifically today, I want to talk about uh, the new normal or what is normal in the world of work in our lives. So if you could have the first slide is my title. It is called Redefining Work, which is a very boring title, actually. Uh, So if you've got something more exciting for me, I'm really open to suggestions. But for want of anything better, that's what I've called it. And I want to talk about redefining work, not in terms of the way, the practical ways that we do work. And there's, there's a lot of talk about remote working and all the rest of the implications of that. Very interesting, but I want to talk about the spiritual dimensions of work for us today because that's what we're about as church. Um, And when I use the word work, I want to talk about work in the broadest sense. So obviously that's jobs, excuse me, that's employment, that's businesses, that, excuse me. That's every preacher's nightmare is a frog in the throat at the wrong moment. I'm talking about housework. 
I'm talking about students studying. I'm talking about volunteer work. And so I trust that what I have to say really does embrace uh, pretty well everybody sitting here, <clears throat> sitting here this morning. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, if you will, please. We're going to start looking at work from the very beginning. And for, hey, we've got our, my typo's been corrected. Thank you so much. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. And the word work there is a Hebrew word, abad. So can we, we're going to talk about abad a lot today. So can we all say abad? Fantastic. We all speak Hebrew now. That is absolutely amazing. So remember abad. So that is the beginning of work. And the first and most obvious thing that's to say that's been said before is that that verse happens in Genesis 2 and not in Genesis 3, which means that work is something that happens before the fall and not after the fall. So work is not a curse. Work is not a punishment. Work is not intended to be a burden upon us. But work is part of what we were created for. Work is part of the fabric of our identity. That's what we were made to do. That's, that's the fulfillment of our lives, is being people who are able to work. We are made for action. God is known by what he does. God doesn't reveal himself as a whole lot of abstract statements. God reveals himself by his actions. Genesis 1.1 is the biggest bit of work that has ever been undertaken. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You can't get much bigger enterprise than that. And through the scriptures, God reveals himself by what he does. So he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God who, who takes Israel out of Egypt with a strong arm and with a mighty hand and delivers them through the Red Sea. He is the God who feeds his people through the wilderness. He is the God who brings his people into the nation of Israel and fights their battles for them. He is the God who visits his people in the person of Jesus. He is the God who raises Jesus from the dead. And we are made in his image. We're made to be people of action as well. The kingdom of God is not a beautiful philosophical concept that we can bat around. Paul says, it's not talk, it is power. The kingdom of God is the dead being raised. The kingdom of God is eyes open. The kingdom of God is prisons being broken open. So you and I are made to be people of action. We are fulfilled in action. And work is therefore part of what we were created for. So we have this word abad, which is the basic fundamental Hebrew word for work. And, and, and it means toiling in the garden, it means cultivating, it means digging. There's a kind of an agricultural feel to it. But beyond the basic meaning, there's another subtle layer of meaning which adds the sense of serving on top of that. So Adam was not only placed in the garden to cultivate the garden, he was serving as he did that. And as soon as you introduce that layer of meaning, it raises the question, well, who are we serving? And of course, we are serving the Lord God. 
which takes us to a Hebrew expression for worship, which is serving the Lord. And, and many times when you read through the Old Testament, uh, when, when the Scripture wants to speak to us about people worshipping God, it says they served the Lord. So we have another slide, which is Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12. This is God trying to persuade Moses to live up to the calling that he's put upon his life. And God said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve Abad, God, on this mountain. And the implication is they are going to worship him on this mountain. And in fact, they had the most momentous worship meeting of all time. Three million people gathered together. I'm not sure even Reinhard Bonnke has done a worship meeting that will quite match that for scale. That is amazing, with no PA system either, no bands, no nothing. Just three million people on this mountain engaged in worshiping God in a worship meeting that lasted seemingly over several weeks in that place. So serving, working, abad, uh, morphs into this sense of worship. You have come today to the 9.45 service. Have you ever wondered why we call it a service? It's directly out of the Hebrew. We are serving the Lord together. It's our ministry to him. This is our worship. So the norm, the baseline, the starting point is that work is worship. The two terms, the two senses just merge together out of the Hebrew Scriptures and they become one. That's, that's what our norm is. That's the baseline intention for work. The job that you do, the thing that you do every day, the administration, the looking after children, the building of houses, the whatever it is, the writing of computer programs, whatever this thing is, that is intended to be worship. And it's not that we worship while we work, although that's fantastic and that's good to do too, but it's that the actual thing we do is an act of worship. That is God's intention. And that's amazing because it means that worship isn't something we do after hours. Worship isn't something we try and slip in on the side. Worship is... Monday to Friday, as well as Sunday, and maybe even on Saturday as well, who knows. But worship, we gather together to continue what we have been doing all week through our jobs, through our work, through what it is that we do. And, and that thought carries into the New Testament, and Paul has this phrase, as unto the Lord, which you come across in several scriptures. So, for example, Colossians 3.23 Paul says, in whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So isn't that beautiful? Work is meant to be worship. Now, there is also a darker side to this word abad. Because if our service is not directed towards the Lord, then maybe our service is directed somewhere else. So if you put up the next slide, which is Exodus 
This is talking about the children of Israel in Egypt. It says, so they, which is the Egyptians, ruthlessly made the people of Israel work Abad as slaves. And so this one word, work, goes in two different directions. It either leads us into worship or it leads us into slavery. And this is the window of opportunity that I want to speak to us about today. I think we are at that moment for many of us where we get to look at the way work operates in our lives because it's like everything's been interrupted by COVID. And, says, and we ask ourselves this question, what do I want work to be? What am I going to allow work to be in my life? Am I going to make it worship? Or am I going to allow it to continue to be slavery in whatever degree it is slavery for us? So we go on to Exodus. Next slide, Exodus 8.1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go from their slavery that they may serve Abad, me, worship me. And the process of redemption is fundamentally about taking people out of slavery and delivering them into the freedom to worship. And I think that the world of work is well worth redeeming, don't you? I mean, how much of our life is consumed in work? And I think that's worth focusing upon and saying, I want to take a hold of this and, and to whatever extent it is characterized by slavery. Let me take that and let me deliver it instead into that space of worship. So how do I tell the difference? How do I know whether this aspect of my work is looking like slavery or worship? Well, anything that I serve that is not the Lord, that's called an idol. All right? Anything I serve that isn't the Lord is called an idol. And the language of idolatry is really helpful for understanding this. And people serve idols for a reason. It's not just culture, it's not just habit. People serve idols because they think this idol will save me. So the Philistines, you remember the story in, in 1 Samuel, they had a, an idol called Dagon, this big statue in their temple and that there's, there's all sorts of funny things happened around that. But they worshipped Dagon because they believed Dagon would win their wars for them. He would fight their battles. He was going to be their salvation. The Ephesians, the, 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 the citizens of the city of Ephesus in the New Testament, they had their statue of Diana. And they worshipped Diana because they thought she was going to bring protection and prosperity to their city. And we worship idols in the expectation that they are going to bring salvation to us. And the world of work is full of idols sitting there inviting us to come and worship them. Let me give you some examples. And the most obvious one is the idol of financial security. And it works like this. It says, this job will save me from poverty and destitution. Therefore, I need to hold on to it with everything that I have. I cannot afford to let go of it because it will rescue me. It's going to keep me safe. Therefore, I must cling to it. 
That's what idolatry looks like. Or maybe even wealth. And, and around the world of work, this, this unspoken expectation of money and wealth kind of hangs there. And, and we don't always verbalize it, we don't always speak about it, but the expectation's there in the background that somehow this is going to be a pathway for me into wealth. So this business, this is how it works, this business is going to set me up for life. Therefore, I need to sow everything into it. And more insidiously, this business is going to set my children up for life. Therefore, I need to sow everything into it, even the time maybe that I would spend with them in order that I can grow this business to set them up for life. I love the, the meme of the, the boss arriving at work in his brand new Lamborghini. And there's this young employee standing there looking goggle-eyed at this thing. And the boss says to him, you know, my son, Next year, if you work really hard, I'll have another one of these. <laughs> and, and, and there is this kind of cloud somehow of I could get rich, but no one's really making me any promises here that hangs around this world of work. Dignity. I earn more than. And we probably wouldn't say it like that, but we might think it. I have an impressive job title. I remember when I started my first job, I was called a trainee technologist. And after a few months, I became a technologist. And then I became a senior technologist. And then a year or two down the road, I became a lab manager. And at that point, it was like I'd really arrived because I'd finally managed to get the title manager into my job title. And it was like, this is amazing. I am now made. This is it. And, and then a couple of years later, I got a job grade that qualified me for a company car. And that was, that was absolutely something else. But the, the, the world of work feeds us these little morsels of dignity in the strangest way, you know? Job titles are business's way of avoiding paying us more money. You, know, you just give them a more impressive sounding title and they'll be happy for another little while. And, and it's like we need to serve this beast that just, just flicks little bits of dignity at us. And we get caught up into the system or we become part of that ladder, part of that thing. Meaning. This work, this job is my opportunity to make a difference. It helps me feel useful, gives me significance. I love to be needed. So when they say they need me, I say, here I am, because it makes me come alive. Human connection. I want to be part of a happy team. You know, where we all work together amazingly and everybody's suggestion is taken seriously and listened to. And, and, and we can all reach a great agreement and then after work, we go down the pub and we all laugh together, just like in the castle advert. And, and it's like, do those 
workplaces really exist? You know, is, is that just a myth of, of advertisement makers? Is, is, is there really a corporate environment like that? Maybe somewhere there's a job that will fulfill that need in my life. So, so those are just, just a little taste of the way that we are drawn in to serve something in this work environment. You're looking very earnestly at me. Am I communicating here? We're drawn in to serve something that is not the Lord God in the work environment. So how do I engage in work and defend myself against this kind of idolatry? Well, it's very simply by knowing that all these things are mine already in Christ. All these things are mine already in Christ. The security is mine already. He gives that to me. The wealth is mine already. I am a co-heir with Christ. Everything is mine. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And he says, come sit with me. It's all mine. The dignity is mine. He puts a crown upon my head. The, the meaning, the purpose is mine. The, the human connection, the relatedness is all mine. Ephesians 1.3 says that he has blessed us already with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's all been given to me. It's already mine. You know, one of the temptations or the way the enemy loves to tempt us is by trying to sell us something that we already own. Have you ever had anybody do that to you? You know, try and let me sell you something. You say, but hang on a sec, I don't need, I, this is mine already. So in the garden, he comes to Adam and Eve and says, you shall be as God. Just listen to me and you shall be as God. But actually, they already were as God because they've been created in God's image. And the enemy comes to sell us security, to sell us a road to riches, to sell us meaning, to sell us all this stuff. Actually, that's already mine. I've got it all already. So we either get to live in the good of our salvation or we get to live in slavery. And there's no kind of neutral road between those two things. We either appropriate what is ours and say, actually, I'm going to believe that and live in the good of it, or, as I say, we live in slavery in the workplace. And, and the amazing thing about COVID, however horrible it's been, however demonic it is, it has kind of exposed some of the empty promises that the work environment has made to us. You know, job security is never going to, financial security, these things are never quite going to look like they once did to us. We're always going to take these things with a little pinch of salt, and rightly so, because they're promises that can't always be kept. There's a, a worship album come out this year. Um, it's called Revivals in the Air. I don't know if any of you have bought it or listened to it, but there's a track on this album called Breathe. Uh, it's it's uh, not a worship song as such. It's called Spontaneous Worship, five minutes or so. And every time I listen to this, it undoes me inside. Uh, because in, in, this, in this track, Corey Asprey just speaks these words over the congregation. He says to them, 
Nothing to gain, nothing to lose, nothing to show, nothing to prove. Nothing to gain, nothing to lose, nothing to show, nothing to prove. And it just undoes all the tension inside of me. I'm thinking, that is amazing. That is the gospel of grace above everything else. Nothing to gain, nothing to lose, nothing to show, nothing to prove. So I want to invite you, just can you just close your eyes for me right now? I want, to visual, I want you to visualize yourselves entering your workspace, whatever that looks like. It could be physical premises. It could look like getting into your car or getting out your phone to make some calls. It could like logging into a computer screen. It could, like, could look like picking up your kids, whatever that looks like. And, and whatever your emotional response to that threshold is, I want you to visualize yourself as stepping over that threshold as a co-heir with Christ. That that is your identity. That is who you are as you step into that space. And because you step into that space as a co-heir with Christ, there is nothing to gain and there is nothing to lose because it's all yours already. And nothing that can happen in this work environment can conceivably add to what you already have. There's nothing that can be added to what you have. And nothing that can happen in this work environment can conceivably take away from what you already have. It is absolutely secure in Christ. And therefore, I enter this place not having to serve anything or anyone other than the Lord God. And therefore, I enter this place as an act of worship. Now, Richard, you can open your eyes if you want. Richard, you say, I, I, this is great, but you know, I do need to earn a living. Anybody here need to earn a living? Anyone got to pay the rent, pay the bond, pay the school fees, pay the credit card bill, pay whatever else? And I, I totally get that. But God is our provider. And he invites us to pray on a daily basis, give us this day our daily bread. Every day, give us this day our daily bread. And I understand that as we pray that prayer, God answers that prayer most often through our work, which is quite an interesting dynamic, isn't it? We pray, God, give us our daily bread, and he sends us out to work, and we gain it through our work. But here's the thing. We can never allow any human organization, business, whatever else, to usurp God's place as our provider. That's something we have to be absolutely clear about. Because the moment we do, the moment we allow a human organization to become our provider, then we sell ourselves into slavery. So every day we keep ourselves free by praying, God, give me today my daily bread. And if you do it through my work, then I will bless you for that. Or it might be ravens, or it might be manna in the wilderness, or whatever. That's fine. But 
you, Lord God, my heavenly Father, would you give me today my daily bread. God is the one who provides for me. God is the one who blesses me in order that I can bless others. Nothing to show, nothing to prove. The workplace demands performance of us. Do you still add value? Uh, we knew a young guy who is working in the banking industry in London. He was a friend of the family, not a believer. But this guy was popping methamphetamines. And why was he doing this? He was doing it because he was 30 years old and he felt that he could no longer compete with the 25-year-olds. Nothing to show, nothing to prove. If that's how he felt, then may God help me. When, you, when you're 30 and you can't compete any longer, then something is really, really wrong. Nothing to show, nothing to prove. You know, we already have the approval of heaven stamped on our lives. Jesus, at his baptism, the voice comes from heaven. He has done nothing. Ministry hasn't even begun, and the voice from heaven comes and says, well done. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the pleasure of God has been purchased for us through Jesus on the cross, and that sits upon our lives, and nothing can add to that or detract from it. So the approval of man is, is really the... the it's not even the icing on the cake. It's not, it's not even remotely close to that. It's of absolutely minimal significance in relation to the approval of heaven which sits upon you right now. And so nothing in this place, nothing in this workspace can detract from the approval of heaven that sits upon you. And nothing can materially add to it either. And our successes are fantastic, but it doesn't change anything. And our failures are embarrassing, but they don't change anything either. Even when we fail, even when we miss our targets, when we do badly, when, when we don't get the good appraisal, whatever the thing is, Jesus is still our advocate. He is still the one rooting for us. He is still our intercessor. He is still the one who is excited about who we are. Now, I really do believe in excellence in the workplace. This is not an excuse for doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. But excellence in the workplace needs to be in the context of worship. That we do this work excellently because it's an act of worship to our Heavenly Father. So we present a lamb that is spotless, without blemish. We don't present our dud stuff to God. Our excellence in the workplace needs to be an act of love towards our boss because we want him to look good. We want him to want his business to be successful so we work with excellence. It's an act of love towards our fellow workers. We want to make life easy for them, not difficult. It's an act of love towards our customers and our clients and whatever because we want them to be blessed through the labors, the labors of our own hands. But it's not about self-protection. It's not excellence for self-promotion. It's excellence out of love and excellence out of worship.
Galatians 5.1 says, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And 1 John 5.1, the last verse in that letter, it can't be verse 1, it's 1 John 5, the last verse anyway, it says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. I wonder if I could have the keyboard back up, please, if you're here. Thank you so much. Appreciate this. I'd love us to stand. And I'd just like us to stand in his presence. Just allow that incredible grace of heaven to flood over us right now. Thank you for your good gospel. Thank you that your gospel overflows and invades and transforms every dimension of our life. And we just pray right now that your gospel of grace would invade the workplace of our life. We, we worship you right now. We, as, we, as we lift hands to you, as we bless your name, we see ourselves in that workspace. We see ourselves as co-heirs of Christ. We see ourselves as, as worshippers of God in that space. Nothing to gain. Nothing to lose. Nothing to show. Nothing to prove. And I want to break the grip of performance anxiety over people's lives right now. Sean spoke so brilliantly about anxiety last week. But I want to address specifically performance anxiety in this place. And we thank you, grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you demolish those bonds of anxiety over our lives now in Jesus' name. We expose them for what they are. We expose them for the futility of what they are. And we speak of the good pleasure of heaven. We speak of the, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. The Jesus who roots on our behalf. The elder brother who delights to see us walking in his steps. And we worship you. Out of freedom, we worship you today. Let my people go that they may worship me. Let my people go that they may worship me. Let my people go that they may worship me. We bless you, Heavenly Father. We bless you. We bless you in this place. We break the, the bonds of shame for when we haven't done well. We break the bonds of shame for things that have gone wrong for us in our work environment. We break the guilt and the curse of that in Jesus' name. And we speak the good pleasure of heaven. We thank you, Lord God. We bless you in this place. Let's just take another minute just to worship him and to resolve to determine in our hearts that work is not going to be what it was. But it's going to be an act of worship. bless you. We bless you, Heavenly Father. We bless you, Creator God. 
We bless you for this good gift. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Amen. You know, if it seems impossible to you to make a connection between what you do work-wise and worship, if, if those two things seem to be opposite ends of the universe, then just maybe it's time to change your job or time to change your industry or time to change what you're studying or time to change something. Because this is, this is too big to allow half our lives or whatever it is that we engage in the world of work to allow that to be consumed by something fundamentally ungodly. There's too much at stake. So I want to speak courage over you today. Whatever it is to make the future look something worship-filled as opposed to anything else that it might be. So God bless you. Have a fantastic week.